Psalm 33. I'm not gonna read it all at once. We're gonna walk through it. Got a couple of main things that really jumped out at me from this text that I wanna try to hit and emphasize to you from this text. But by way of introduction, look at chapter 32, verse 11. It says, be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. Now, right after that, Psalm 33, where does it start with? If you're reading with the ESV like I am, it says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. So immediately, we're understanding that the compiler of the Psalms has put Psalm 32 with Psalm 33, and right where Psalm 32 ends, Psalm 33 is gonna pick up and it's gonna take off, and both of these say, shout for joy. Now, oftentimes in our context, we tend to wanna be pretty reserved. I appreciate that. We tend to wanna be pretty studious. I appreciate that. I grew up in a church that was Baptist. I grew up in a really conservative church where you kinda had to wear a suit when you went to church. Anybody grew up in that type context? I grew up in a church where you didn't, you didn't raise your hand. If you raised your hand in church, it was somebody asking if you had a question, right? I mean, you just didn't put your hand up. I, the, conservative type, at least I felt this way. I felt that if, if I felt like I needed to raise my hands, typically my hands were in my pockets, I might flare my pockets out. Or, or if you got really adventurous, you could turn your hands up, but it had to be baseball praise. Y'all know what baseball praise is, right? That's inside the strike zone. Because if you got outside the strike zone, you're in trouble. And, and it wasn't until later on in life that I realized you could actually do basketball praise. Get those hands up big and wide, right? Get them out there, outside of that strike zone. And, and you could even shoot your shot and leave it hanging, I guess, if you wanted to. I don't know. This does not strike me as a conservative praise. It ends in 32 and it says, shout for joy. Now, I don't shout as loud as some of you shout because that's just not, I'm, I'm an introvert. Some of you, you're extroverts. We know, we can hear you. So let me hear you. Give us a shout for joy. There's a lot of extroverts in this room. In chapter 33, again, it says shout for joy. So, so here's one thing I wanna, I wanna communicate to all of you. We should not have in our mind that we show up for church and we fold our arms and we never get excited and we never let emotion show. I mean, these are psalms to be sung and, and what's being reminded for this to sing is to say, I should be willing to shout for joy at what the Lord has done in my life. Christianity should not be a boring religion where we're sitting on our hands and we're never saying anything. It shouldn't be a religion where we are just so studious that we're staring, writing the entire time. We never get excited or we never show passion about what God's doing in our life. Here it starts off and ends in 32, starts in 33 with shout for joy. Now, that's not even the main point of the song. That's just by introduction as we get into this. So, if you wanna shout, if you wanna say amen, if you wanna do whatever, have at it. I don't care, I'll be fine. Here's your main idea of the psalm. Our hope is God's unfailing love. That's what this psalm's pointing us to. I'm gonna come back to this a couple of times, but your hope in life is God's unfailing love. 
So ask yourself this question as you're preparing mentally to walk through here. What am I putting my hope in? Am I putting my hope in my academic ability? Am I putting my hope in my strength, my athletic ability? Am I putting my hope in my charismatic personality and my ability to influence people and win friends? Am I putting my hope in the degree that I hope to attain to get the job that I want, to provide the resources that I want so life can go just like I have it all planned out? Or am I putting my hope in this simple one thing, the unfailing love of God? If all else fails, I'm still okay because my hope doesn't rest in the things of this world. It rests in the unfailing hope of God, unfailing love of God. Why is the unfailing love of God the main point here? Well, I'll mention this again too, but verse five, it talks about his steadfast love. That's the word hesed. Verse 18, it talks about those who hope in his steadfast love. That's the word hesed. In verse 22, let your steadfast love, O Lord, be upon us. The same word three times mentioned in this song. And so there's something pressing into us here about God's steadfast love to us. It's where our hope is. So here's your outline. Your outline is the first three verses. We talk about praising the Lord. Then the text starts to explain to us why are we supposed to praise the Lord? Well, in verses four, going all the way through verse 19, we praise the Lord for his good works and his good word. His good word is what we start with, and then we go to his good works. We'll get there, and then we end with a reminder that our hope is in the Lord. So let's start with point number one, verses one through three. Number one is praise the Lord. All right, so look at what it says here. Chapter 33, verse one. Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. Make melody to him with the harp of 10 strings. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully on the strings with loud shouts. Now let's walk through this. Think about what's being said here. Shout for joy. It comes back at the end of this and says, with loud shouts. You're not to be quiet. You don't have to be reserved when you're praising the Lord. The Lord is worthy of our praise. We can give a shout out to the Lord. We can sing the song, shout to the Lord, and actually shout to the Lord. We can do these type things. Look at what else it's saying here. There are so many imperatives in this first part. Shout to the Lord. Praise befits. Give thanks. Make melody. Sing. Play skillfully. The word skillfully there is actually the imperative. And so when, when they get up here and they do their thing, I have zero musical ability. Like I can keep time a little bit. That's it. I, I can't tell you. I can't tell you the notes. I can't. I was hanging out with Heart Song and they were like, we're singing in the wrong key. And I'm like, I don't know what that means. You just, whatever. Y'all just sing really loud. I'll sing really soft. I'll be over here in the corner. It'll be okay. And so I don't know anything about music, but I know they practice really hard and they do a really good job because they do it skillfully. The text here is encouraging us to say, do it skillfully. How many do we have in here in music? You play an instrument, you like to sing. Give me a shout out. Here's your song. Some of you come from a background or you know people who come from a background that would say to you, don't use musical instruments when you do your worship. Some churches are so conservative, they would say no musical instruments. In fact, we had a student who was coming to Cedarville one time. His mom actually reached out to me and said, I want my son to be at Cedarville, but I think drums are of the devil. And so would you allow him to stay outside while y'all do your music and then he can come inside during the worship and then 
get his chapel credit for that. My response to that parent was, I don't think your son's ever gonna be comfortable at Cedarville University. We don't believe instruments or drums, since I happen to play the drums, and so does my son. We don't believe they're of the devil. We believe instruments are good, and here we see it in here. What are we supposed to do? Shout to the Lord. Praise befits the upright. Give thanks to the Lord with the lyre. It's a musical instrument. Make melody to him with a harp of 10 strings. It's a musical instrument. Sing to him a new song and then play skillfully. Don't just get up there and play. Don't do like I would do if I went and grabbed one of these instruments that I don't have a clue what I'm doing. Use your skill. Some of you the Lord has gifted so that you can understand and actually play music and do it beautifully. Do it with excellence, work hard, practice your craft, make sure that you do this well. And then I've got to pause right here because it says, sing to him a new song. Can I just challenge you as a generation of students to write music, write your own songs, write new songs, Write new hymns if you want to write new hymns. Write new courses if you want to write new courses. Write songs. If you love poetry, write music. Do these things so that we have new songs that we can sing praises to his name. We don't have enough songs. We don't have enough good songs. We don't have enough songs we can trust theologically because sometimes we have to sing a song and everybody's in the back of their mind questioning, why aren't we singing that song? Don't you know about that? Yeah, we know about that group. We just evaluate each song individually. And so you write new songs and we won't have to worry about that group. You can write the new songs. We'll know they're theologically solid. So start your own songwriting business here. If God's calling you to do it, go for it. We've got three people that are going to write songs. It's a new song. All right. Praise the Lord. I'm going to move to point number two. Point number two, why do we praise the Lord? He gives it to us right here. So I've got it on the slide. I'm not jumping ahead because the passage is too long to fit on one slide, but I'm not jumping ahead. Why do we praise the Lord? Verse four, for the word of the Lord is upright. We praise the Lord because his word comes to pass. His word is sure. His word is true. And the text is going to elaborate on this. But we also praise the Lord and all of his work is done in faithfulness. We say it all the time. God is faithful. We can trust him. If God says he's going to do something, that's what he's going to do. He's going to be faithful even when we're not faithful because he cannot deny his character. He is a faithful God. He loves righteousness and justice, and the earth is full of the steadfast love of the Lord. That's where our hope is. The Lord is a good God. The Lord is good. The Lord is good because his word is sure and because his works are faithful. So now we're going to elaborate on that. Let's look first at his word. Verse 6, by the word of the Lord, the heavens were made, and by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts. He gathers the waters of the sea as a heap and he puts the deeps in the storehouses. Think about the Lord. The Lord speaks and things exist. He speaks creation into being. By the word of the Lord, things are held together by the power of his might. He speaks and things happen. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. And by the breath of his mouth, all of their hosts I don't know about you, but when I think about these things, often I don't think deeply enough about these things. 
So I have a couple of images to remind us about how transcendent God is, about how sovereign God is, and about how puny I am, and about how little I actually matter in this universe that God spoke into existence. He said, let there be light, and there was light, and I have no problem believing that light was already in motion so that we could see things that may be billions of light years away. God spoke into existence, and the James Webb Telescope has given us some images that we can look Look at to see things that he spoke into existence. Look at all these different galaxies and stars and things that are out there. It's another slide. Next. This slide is the Carina Nebula. That makes me think of Marvel, which it shouldn't, but that's okay. And then this next slide also shows potentially a black hole and some other things. You can talk to your professors who can tell you a lot more about this than I can. But think about how small I am or that you are compared to what we see. By his word, it says he spoke the heavens into existence. By the word of the Lord, the heavens were made. By the breath of his mouth, all of their host. It says he gathers the waters of the sea as a heap. Some would say that this may be an an indication of the Red Sea when it stood up or of the Jordan River when they crossed in Joshua and the river stood up at the edge. Some say this is still referring to creation. It says in verse eight, let all the earth fear the Lord. Friends, when we look at some of those images and we think about how small we are and how great he is, we should fear the Lord. We should be in awe of him. It's a restatement here. So what does it mean to fear the Lord? Let all the inhabitants of the world stand in awe of him. We should stand in awe of God Almighty. We should not stand in prideful arrogance because we think we're so great. We should look up at the one who created it all and say, I am nothing compared to what he is. And so we stand in awe and fearful reverence of the creator. In verse nine, for he spoke and it came to be. He commanded and it stood firm. That's the word of the Lord. That's the good word that the Lord has spoken to us. This is why we praise the Lord, because the Lord in his word is good and it is sure and it is faithful and it will come to pass. And all throughout the Psalms, it talks about how the Lord used his word to create and to make things that happen. Friends, creation is one of the great gifts God has given us to remind us of how great he is and how much we should praise him and serve him and love him. It transitions. That and that was up there in verse four, you start seeing the explanation shift from just on the words of the Lord to it says the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. This reminds us, as we think about this, it reminds us back to Psalm two. So keep Psalm two in mind. Why do the nations rage? Why do the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel against the Lord and against his anointed saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their their cords from us. But he who sits in heaven laughs and holds them in derision. It's because in verse 10 here, the Lord brings the counsel of the nations to nothing. There's a contrast set up. He frustrates the plans of all the people, but the counsel of the Lord stands forever. What the Lord says he will do will happen. Not what any of the rulers of the nation say they're gonna do. That's not what we have to fear. That's not what happens. We know this because we have a presidential election every four years and they make promises that they never keep. They do. 
They may try. They may try really hard, but it's not up to them. They can't do it all. There's a check and balance system with the Supreme Court and the Congress and the Senate and the House, and they can't get done what they're doing. And sometimes we're really thankful for that. And sometimes we really wish they could. Their, their plans may not happen, and they may not stand. What one administration does, another one undoes four years or eight years later. But what the Lord says he's gonna do, well, that's what happens. So where do I put my hope? I put my hope in the Lord. In the love of the Lord. Look at what it says in verse 12. Blessed is the nation whose God is Lord. The people whom he has chosen as his inheritance. Referencing back to Israel here. As they're singing this, they're reminded that, that they're a blessed nation, that God has chosen them as his, as his heritage. Verse 13, it says, the Lord looks down from heaven. So the Lord's up in heaven. He's high and above. He's transcendent. He's almighty. He's sovereign. And he looks down and what does he see? He sees all the children of man. Notice the repetition of the word all. He sees all the children of man from where he sits enthroned. He looks out on all the inhabitants of the earth. This God who is transcendent, this God is everywhere. This God is omnipresent. This God can see all of us, all of his children, all the inhabitants of the earth. In verse 15, it says, he who fashioned the hearts of them all the repetition of all again, and observes all their deeds. This God who spoke into existence, all those stars that we can't touch, that we can't even see without putting a telescope out into orbit to look deeper, there's stuff beyond that. There's stuff we don't know about. This incredible God that's out there is also the incredibly eminent God that is with us. He sees all of your works. He sees all of the people. It says here that he formed and fashioned the hearts of them all. He observes all of our deeds. This transcendent God that is almighty is also this eminent God who is with us and with me and he's with you. If you are a child of the king, the spirit lives in you. Friends, this God is a God that you can trust. He's all powerful. He's ever present. He's all knowing. He observes your deeds and knows the motives behind those deeds. So when we try and we struggle and we mess up, he knows why. So we keep struggling forward together. Now look at what it says in verse 16. The king is not saved by his great army. Great's gonna be repeated here. The warrior is not delivered by his great strength. The war horse is a false hope for salvation. Biggest army in the world. Probably more missiles and more nuclear power and more technology. Everything you could have. Is that where you're gonna put your trust? Is that where you're gonna put your hope? The text here reminds Israel, king's not saved by his great army. The warrior's not delivered by his great strength. The war horse, that war horse, that, that horse that you can't control, that horse that when the, when the sounds and when the saber rattling begins, that horse that gets excited and is ready to charge into battle, that horse that is mighty and powerful, that's a false hope, friends. And by its great might, it cannot rescue Great, 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 doesn't matter. It's not where we put our hope. Behold, the eye of the Lord is on those who fear him, 
Oh, there's repetition there. We're to fear the Lord. We're to stand in awe of the Lord. And the eye of the Lord is now on those who fear him, on those who hope in his steadfast love. That steadfast love is where our hope has to be. Our fear should not be for men or nations or things of this world, but our fear should be reserved as a fear of the Almighty. We stand in awe of him. We long to serve him that he may deliver their soul from death and keep them alive in famine. We move now to our third point. Our third point is that our hope is in the Lord. Look at what it says here in these last three verses. Our soul waits for the Lord. So it's reminding us that there's something inside of us, our soul that waits for the Lord. Our soul can't be nourished by anything that this world has to offer. That, that longing that we have for something more and for something greater was placed there by God. That knowledge that we have that this is not right and this is not the perfect world and there should be something after this life. All of that placed in us by God, those thoughts that we have that say this is evil and this is wrong and this is good, those thoughts that we have that tell me I shouldn't eat nearly as many nerds and smarties as I do because sugar is bad for me. And if I want to live a healthy life and not have high blood pressure, I need to eat more salads from Tossed than I do Chick-fil-A milkshakes. And so all of those thoughts that tell us there's something more, if I defer that instant gratification, if I live for a longer purpose, there's wisdom out there that tells us there's more. All of it put by God. My soul longs for something greater than the sweet tarts of life. Although I do like sweet tarts a lot. My soul longs for something more than a milkshake that doesn't satisfy. My soul longs to serve a savior who poured out his life for me, to love others, to sacrifice for others, to be like that God. That's what my soul longs for and it waits for the Lord. The Lord is our help. I need help. Go to the Lord. The Lord is my shield. I'm worried, I'm scared, I'm defenseless. The Lord is your shield. The Lord is your great defense. For our heart is glad in him. You're searching for happiness in all the wrong places. You're searching for joy in all the wrong places. Oh, if I could just be on this music team, I would be joyful. Oh, if I could just make this athletic event, this athletic team, I would be joyful. Oh, if I could just get this grade in my class, I would be joyful. If I could just get this degree and pass this class, I would be joyful. But there's always something next. So that's why we trust and put our hope in the Lord and his steadfast love. For our hearts are glad in him because we trust in his holy name. Look at verse 22. Let your steadfast love, the third time it's mentioned in this psalm, O Lord, be upon us, even as we hope in you. All right, application for you. Number one, we should praise and give thanks to the Lord with joy, enthusiasm, and excellence. We should thank and give praise to the Lord. We should shout his name. We should sing songs for his glory. 
We should play with instruments. We should join with others who can play instruments and do so with excellence so that the Lord is worshiped and the Lord is praised. And we should have joy when we do that. And we should have enthusiasm when we do that. Hey, listen, if you don't have the excellence piece, because you know I don't, I'm not gonna be up here. That's fine. I don't wanna be up here doing that. I, got, I, I do my thing. Y'all do y'all's thing. I mean, it's, it's okay. But when I'm in my car, oh, I can crank that radio up so loud that I can't even hear me. And I can have a Holy Ghost party right there in my car. <laughs> Shouting with the bass thumping. I cannot believe that much bass came out of that little bitty box. I don't know how you did that, but whatever. I love the bass. I can worship and praise the Lord. You know, some of the sweetest times of praising the Lord is when you're all alone. You're singing praise to him and you're not doing it because somebody else sees you and you're not doing it because you want attention. You're doing it because you genuinely love the Lord and he is worthy of praise. Some of the sweetest times of prayer and praise is when three or four of you gather in your dorm rooms and you're just singing praises to the Lord because you love him. Friends, praise the Lord. Number two, our hope is not in our great might, our great strength, or our great nation. I'm gonna call a timeout here. I wanna focus on two things. Student, can I just tell you, put your hope in the Lord. Don't put your hope in mom or dad. I have no doubt your mom or your dad, your parents, your grandparents, your pastor, your others, I have no doubt they love you and they wanna serve you well. But I also have no doubt that they're human and they will fail you. And if you've placed all of your hope in any human being, when they fail you, your hope's gonna be shaken. Love them, respect them, but don't put your hope in them. Don't put your hope in a degree. You get that degree and you think that degree is gonna solve everything and then you graduate and you get that job, maybe even the perfect job that you want and you get into that job and then you realize all of a sudden, wait a second, this doesn't fulfill me. There has to be something more. Put your hope in the Lord, not in that degree or not in that job, not in that occupation and can I say to you, don't put your hope in ring by spring. Somebody said, say it again. So I'll say it again. Don't put your hope in ring by spring. Listen, even if you've gotten the ring and it's not even spring, the person that you're with, they cannot stand the weight of being in the place of God in your life. It is not fair for you to put your hope in a flawed human being who is walking through this earth, struggling to be more like Christ, just like you are. You put them up on a pedestal. You think they're gonna solve all your problems. That's not why they were created. That's not what God intended. And it's gonna all fall apart on you. You are to put your hope in Christ and as two sinners running as fast as they can after the Lord, look side by side and say, hey, do you wanna run together? And you pursue Christ to the best of your ability. You grow closer to each other as you grow closer to Christ. You start moving towards that person, you start moving away from Christ and you actually move down the triangle farther away from each other. It's not good, it's not healthy, it's not right, it's not godly, it will fail you. So here's what I'm saying to you. Whatever it is that you have put in the place of God that you're putting your hope in, stop it. Disaster is looming ahead. Our hope is in the Lord. 
but you don't understand. I'm going to get married and I'm going to have three kids and I'm going to live in the perfect house and it's all just going to be fine until you get married and you can't have kids until you get married and you realize Prince Charming saw all sorts of bad habits and you didn't know that because Prince Charming never reveals all of his secrets. He puts his best foot forward. Until you get married and you realize that other person's just as big a sinner as you are. Until you get married and you realize, wait a second, one of us has cancer. Time out, God, this wasn't the plan. Where's your hope? If your hope's in the things of this earth, you will be disappointed. If your hope is in God, he's the only one that can bear that weight. Uh, you know, I'm moving on to a second section here. I probably shouldn't. It's just probably meddling, but I'm doing it anyway. We are in an evangelical culture where there are far too many that are putting their hope in one party or the other, mostly in one party. The Republican Party is not where we should put our hope. Our hope doesn't come in politics. Our hope doesn't come in a nation. Now, let me, let me put my caveats here. I love our country. I love our nation. I love the 4th of July. I love apple pie. Actually, I don't, but it rhymed. Um, <laughs> I'll take my ice cream. Y'all can have the apple pie. I love our country. I get teary-eyed when they sing the Star Spangled Banner. There's nothing wrong with loving your country. There's nothing wrong with being involved in the political process. And so even as I'm telling you, don't put your hope in the Republican Party coming up before midterm election, let me also say to you that I absolutely could not believe that the president of our nation came out and said that if you give him the House and the Senate, that he's gonna, he's gonna make Roe v. Wade the law of the land, but he's actually going a step further. He's gonna make Roe v. Wade abortion on demand from conception till birth, the law of the land, I, I was blown away. Friends, that's not right. That's just evil. To say that you can abort a baby all the way up until the time of birth, we can't stand for that. We have to speak up and say something against that. But even while we do, we don't put our hope in a political process. And even while we do, we remember that there's grace at the foot of the cross and forgiveness for even those with whom we disagree and they were created in the image of God just like we were and Christ died for them just as much as he died for me. And friends, there's love that needs to go around to everybody. And if you're in this room and you've had an abortion, there's forgiveness and grace at the cross for you. And so I, I don't say these things with an air of condemnation, but we should say them with an air of humility to say Christ's love is big enough for all of us. I've got to stand for what's right. I've got to do what's right as far as voting. I've got to make sure that I'm a good citizen. But friends, I don't put my trust in that and I shouldn't be mean about it. We don't have to be mean about it. We've got a God who loves us all. So since I'm meddling, make sure that you go vote. Make sure that you vote your conscience, vote your beliefs. I'm gonna tell you how to vote. Vote but don't put your hope in whatever you vote for. Put your hope in Christ. 
and be nice about it. And don't say things, go ahead. And don't say things in such a way that makes you belligerent. Let's just be statesmen about how we do something. Let's love the other person. Too many times we wanna run to an exaggerated view and build up a straw man so we can tear a straw man down, but everybody that reads that or hears that knows that's not actually what's being said. Where's the honesty and integrity in even having these discussions? We put our hope in the Lord. We do what's right. We let God sort it out. We know that he is faithful and that we can trust him. We love one another, even those with whom we disagree. We listen to what they have to say. We respond with a biblical worldview in every situation. We do our civic duty. We vote, but we don't put our hope there. We put our hope in the Lord because our hope has to be in the unfailing love of God. Everything else will let you down. Everything else will fail you. God will not. The unfailing love of God will not. So dear student, here's what I want you to take away from this. My hope, my love has to be first and foremost placed in God. If I ever sense this in anything else, I know there's disaster coming ahead, there's letdown coming ahead, there are problems coming ahead. So ask yourself this question. Have I placed my hope in God? The main idea of this psalm is that our hope is God's unfailing love. It's that love that sent Christ to a cross. It's that love that provided salvation for us. It's that love that reassures us all to know that you are loved. Dear Lord, if I've said anything foolish today that they shouldn't hold on to, would you just help everybody forget that part? Lord, if there's been anything good that's consistent with your word, would you help us to cling to that? Lord, would you help us in our hearts not to let them go after the foolish things of this world, but to seek first the kingdom of God? Would you help us not to trust in our own hearts because they can deceive us? Lord, would you help us to trust in you? Lord, would you help us to put our hope in you? I pray this for myself. I pray this for all of our faculty, staff, and students today, that this would be a community that puts all of its hope in you and that shows the unfailing love of Christ to one another as we seek to have you glorified on this campus. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. And you are dismissed.